0: This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Let's start. Parsha's DeVarum, everyone. Perek Aleph, Pasuk, Yud, Gimel. The post says, Make for yourselves, bring for yourselves, men that are wise, understanding, you doing lishitecha means known to your Shvatim, in other words, everybody knows who they are, the Asimim Barashechem, and I'm going to put those people in charge, those are going to be the people who are in charge of you, who are going to be the judges officially doing whatever you need to do. Now, what we obviously need to know is what exactly was Moshe Rabbeinu looking for, what were these attributes that he said, this is the attribute of a judge that's proper, and then we have to know about the next Pusik. Pusuk Yedala, Vatanu Osi Vatomru. You answered me, says Moshe Rabbeinu. You answered me, Vatomru, and you said to me, Tova Davor asher dibartolasos. It's good, the thing that you spoke to do. Apparently, this is in the muster section. Like, Moshe Rabbeinu is speaking out mustard to K'laus. This isn't very much Musr. I mean, it's understandable. Moshe Rabbeinu needs people to help him. He doesn't have enough judges, so they need to find judges. And they said, it's a good idea. We're going to find judges. What's the muster over here? What's the problem that we're looking at? We're saying, there's something wrong over here. So the Ben starts off, and he says the following. He says, "Is in five. He says, when choosing men to be in charge, they have to be people that are considered chashuv and powerful, like kings in their little kingdoms. They have to consider themselves, we are in charge. This is what we do. Once, there was a king that was traveling, throughout the entire land, and he went to a certain school where there was a Rebbe teaching his children. He walked in to go see how the Rebbe was teaching his kids, and the Rebbe had, got it, okay, this is back in the day, okay, and also it was in Iraq. The Rebbe had a whip in his hands, right? And the kids were sitting with fear and trepidation, worried they didn't want to get hit, they didn't want to get hit. As soon as the king walked into the room, every single kid stood up at their full attention, seeing the king in honor of the king itself. But the Rebbe stayed in place, And sat in his chair. The king saw that, but he didn't say anything. Three days later, he calls the teacher to his palace. And when the teacher goes to the palace, he sees the king on his throne. He immediately gets down all the way to the ground, bowing down, prostrating himself completely, right? And showing his deference to the king, saying, your majesty. The king says, what? I'm a king here, but I'm not a king there. What's the difference? Why over there did you not bow down to me? Why over there did you sit in your seat? The Rebbe told the king, he said, listen, your highness, of course you are the king of the land. But when you came into my teaching room, my kids have to look at me as if I am the king and there's no other king but me. If they don't look at me that way, then they're never going to learn the way they should be learning properly. Remember, they used to learn out of Yira back then, not Ahab, okay? This is not, this is not 2021. This is 1890 in Iraq. Right? So he said, that's what I have to do, which means had I bowed down to you and shown that you're the king, then everybody would have sat there and they would have said, my kids, they would have said to me, they would have said, that's, that our Rebbe's not no longer a Rebbe. Our Rebbe is not someone to fear. Our Rebbe is just someone like anybody else out there. We're all in charge of the king and they won't learn as well from that point on. I would have failed my job. I am the king of my classroom. Like you are the king of this kingdom. That's what the guy told him. The king understood, right? And did absolutely nothing to him. Havu lachem, make judges that are lachem. The letters of lachem are melech, says the Ben The key to being the right leader, a good leader, is understanding you are a king in your kingdom. And anybody who's been to court... Anybody has been to court and sees the judge the way he is, the judges that are super nice aren't taken seriously. The judges that are super mean are the ones that everybody understands. Those are the people you don't mess with. You don't mess with. My father told me once when I had to go for a ticket, when I was 16 years old, I drove 64 miles an hour in a 40, in a 40-mile-an-hour zone. It was on McCormick. It's it's very understandable. I was a fool. I would never do that now. So now that when I was driving there, I obviously got caught immediately, which is great. I went to court. And I had to stand in front of the judge. My dad told me, wear a suit, wear a jacket, don't speak unless you're spoken to, make eye contact. He told me all the simplest things in the world. And I was still scared. Now, granted, I was 16 years old. But even now, there's still a fear, a trepidation. And if there isn't, then we lost out on something. That's the power of Havu Lachem, of what it means to be a judge. And the first lesson of what Moshe Rabbeinu was telling Bnei Yisrael, Havu Lechem. Make yourselves into kings if you want to be taken seriously. Now, Rashi says there are four words here that describe the judge that Moshe Rabbeinu wanted. Four words. First, he used the word Anoshim. Anoshim is part of the praise of this person. Anoshim means he must be a tzaddik. The Gorayi says, even though sometimes we do see the word Anoshim throughout the Torah when referencing Rishayim, for example, Anushim is Dustin and Aviram. Dustin and Aviram were the Anoshim that were Nitzim beneath tzavim, standing and waiting for Moshe Rabbeinu when he left Pharaoh's palace. Nonetheless, the word refers to Anoshim. Anybody who's known as an Enosh is somebody who's great in Maisim. It could be Maisim Tovim and he's a tzaddik. It could be Mishim Raim, and he's an awesome Rasha. Dustin and we were not just Stam Rashaim. They were awesome Rashaim. anashim of Rashaim. And so, too, the anashim that I mentioned here have to be Tzadikim. Great men in their own right that have done great things, even if, sometimes it refers to something bad, still the same concept is mentioned over here. And that's what it refers to with the word anashim themselves. And also, I mean, I think we understand this, but I don't mean this in a sexist way. This is just the way that the Torah understands Anushim versus Nushim, men versus women is that men are known as the strong, the mashpia, the ones who affect others, while the Nushim are known as the makabal, so to speak, accepting from others and that. I realize that the world is no longer this way. But the way back into, I don't, no. The way that the world was, was exactly this. That there was a man and there was a woman and each represented something. Therefore, when we say the word anushim, that means power. That means something. It's good or bad power, but it's power. It means some form of power. And that's important to realize, especially when saying that word, the Ksav Sofer asks the question. He says, "If it means sadikim, say tsadikim. Why say the word anashim if it means sadikim? Especially if anashim could mean the other way, why say the word anashim instead of the word sadikim themselves?" He says, "A leader must be someone. This is the Ksav Sofer, the Ksav Sofer's son, who does something for no other reason other than that's the right thing to do. A man is called, as we just said, a mashpiyoh, while a woman is a mushpah. The leader must therefore be a man, so to speak, who's able to be mashpia upon others and cannot be affected. I mean, it's one thing to be a tzaddik. Women can be tzaddikim as well, tzaddikos. Right? You can have that. You have the concept of a woman being a tzaddikos. But that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for an enosh, a man who's a tzaddik who won't take no for an answer, who will not be influenced, who won't be taken aback, and won't be emotionally charged either. Whether or not a woman can do that nowadays, we clearly see that Devorah was an avia, And Devorah was a shofetis of Klau Yisrael. We see that the concept exists. There's Ramosha whether or not to appoint judges. And obviously that's a halakhic issue that goes inside. that goes in to be able to say what happens when you have a woman who does, who can do the job properly. What do you have? That's not what this is talking about. It's talking about, in general, the concept, the conceptual ideas of a nashim versus nashim, a mashpia versus a mushba, that's the concept. We're looking for a nashim, not just a tzaddik, because that could be anyone who could be influenced by others, especially a tzaddik, who sometimes is a very big, un- a humble person who no longer does everything that they need to do. Now, that's the first one, that's a chachomim. The Chachamim means ksufim. Now, we don't know what that word means. Rashi used that word k'sufim. The taz, the gurari, and the chasam sofer means nichsufa v'kam kol nafshi. They're desired by all. Everyone likes them. They're well-liked by everybody. If you go up to them, you'd be, oh my, that guy, I love that guy. That's awesome. One thing, he has to be powerful. The next thing he has to be is he has to be well-liked. Well-liked. People have to know him and want to be around that guy, meaning... They don't stutter when they speak. They don't speak too long. They don't speak too short. They speak the right amount of time and know what they're supposed to do. They do things in the right way. This means he's too embarrassed to do something wrong. He's of the ilk that if he would do something wrong, he'd be like, Ay, babe, that doesn't befit me. That doesn't look that way. I do this all the time with kids in high school. Or if a guy's not wearing tzitzis, I just look at him and just like, a tzaddik like you isn't wearing tzitzis? What does that mean? Like all tzaddikim have to wear tzitzis. How could you not be wearing tzitzis? It's, it's a difference. If you call them a Russia, right, which I do by base metrics, guys, that's the difference. You see, that's the difference between them, right? Then it's already like, all right, I'm a Russia, and a Russia doesn't wear tzitzis. But a high school kid, right, they don't get it yet. So you can't call them a Russia. They don't get that point. What they get is, I'm a tzaddik, and a tzaddik has to wear tzitzis. So a tzaddik should be wearing tzitzis. What am I thinking? What was I doing? That's the concept. These people are embarrassed to do something wrong because they know that's what they're looked at as. That's the person that they are. How could they do something badly? The Imre Shammai says something a little bit different. It means, Ksufim, means somebody who has enough Keseth to take care of himself. Isn't that brilliant? Ksufim is in the word Keseth. He's got money. He doesn't have to worry about someone paying him off because if a guy says, hey, hey, uh, you know, like, why don't I, I'll give you a little bit of cash. The guy will say, like, your cash? I make more than you. I don't need your money. I don't want you to give me anything. That's what Ksufa means. Ksufa means somebody who wouldn't take money from other people. It sounds weird because I don't understand why Rashi would say that Chachamim refers to a guy who's wealthy. And it's Ksufa, and it's a guy with money. That's how the Amrish Shammai says it. But like, that's a weird translation of Rashi. Yeah. But we also know that no matter how much money a person has, he always wants double. So if the guy, the guy has to have. You're right. It has to be a person who's happy with what he has. You're right. When I say kesef, it doesn't just mean that he's filled with kesef, but really somebody who's Samach b'chelko enough that he's not going to be influenced or bribed by somebody else. But you're right. Obviously, if the guy has hundred dollars, right, then he's going to want two hundred. And if the guy has that, and somebody's offering it to him, they'll be like, I hey, can make it buy something else. I'm like it's not that big of a deal. I agree with you. That so- does sound a little bit like that. The party, Yosef says, the k'sufim actually stands for other things. Look at it. Chof is k'sherim. They have to be good people. Samach is smuchim. They have to have smicha. They have to be in b'tayrah. They have to understand the Torah. Um, the, uh, what did I add on over there? Vav pe mem. the last part of the word, is upirkam noe. They have to have a good reputation. A good reputation that everybody knows of them, good things, etc. Okay, now that's chachamim. Nivonim, the next word. Number three, anoshim, we got strong people. Ks- chachamin, we have people who are well-liked. And then nivonim. And is what you think it means. They understand things, but not just they understand things. They understand how to take something and go into something else. My favorite thing to do. My favorite thing to do. I know I'm evil for this. Okay, Okay, I love figuring out the person that my wife is talking about. I totally understand it's Lush and Hara, and it's why my wife will barely tell me anything about her day anymore, okay? And that was not done maliciously. It happens to be that I love trying to figure it out. Oh, you were talking about that person. And sometimes it happens three years down the line. I will have, I don't know how God made me, but he made me with a compartment all the way in back that is Sherlock Holmes-esque only when it comes to Lush and Hara, only only, And I am so good at it, where I will keep this in the back of my head, and when something comes up that has anything to do with it, at some point, I will look back at my wife and say, I figured it out. She has no idea what I'm talking about. But I will roll back the conversation to what happened, and that's what it is. Mavini of her, is this in a good way. <laughs> using this for the positive. I'm not there yet in the good way. I'm trying. But to be able to understand something after someone told you something and be able to understand within that what kaddish Baruch is wanting. Now what's interesting is this is the one quality that Moshe Rabbeinu could not find. He looked for Nivonim and he couldn't find it. In Pusik Tezval, Nivonim is not mentioned. They couldn't find Nivonim people out there. Rashi then quotes from Rebiosi in the Medrash, the difference between Chachamim and Nivonim. A Chokom is like a wealthy money changer. A wealthy money changer, if somebody brings him something, then he does his deal, he figures everything out, and he does the change, and he does that. But when nobody brings him anything, he just sits and twiddles his thumb. He doesn't care. He doesn't need the money, so he just sits around and does whatever it is. Hopefully he learns a little mishnayos. But that's what he does when he's wealthy. He doesn't care about anything else that's going on. But a novon is a poor man who's a Sholchani. If people are bringing him money, he'll do deals with them. And if nobody's bringing him money, he'll go out to the Shook to look for more people to deal with because he needs the business. That's what a Navon is. A Navon is somebody who, if you tell him something and he wants to figure it out, he'll figure it out. And if you don't tell him something, he'll go out of his way to figure it out. He'll look it up. He'll find something. He'll do other stuff. To be able to figure out what he needs to know. The Mian is saying that, that that's the exact same thing. He's saying the same thing that a one is a person who's willing to look anything up. He hears something, he's like, you know what? I'd like to see. How do earthquakes work? I'm going to go look up earthquakes. Used to be in the Encyclopedia Britannica, and now it's like, just go online and figure out something and try to understand which one is telling the truth. You figure out which one is there, right? Because not Wikipedia. That I can guarantee you. You've got to check the sources and go from there. That's the concept behind what he is. The Ose Yosef Chai and the Ben Shai brings up another story about the Mar Shaddam. The Marsha was an old, he wrote a Shiloh, it was about five, four, 500 or 450 years ago. And he wrote the following. Two men came in to passel witnesses of a certain Kedushan. A man and a woman got married. There were two Adim to the wedding, right? And there were two Adim that came along and said, those Adim are Puzzle. And since those eight are apostle, the man and woman are not legally married. They're not halachically married, therefore that was that. How did they apostle them? They said that they had eaten, those Edom of the Kiddushan had eaten Shkatzim v'ramoshim. They had eaten Shkatzim v'ramoshim, which we know is rats or whatever it is in a certain place. Now as a timeout, this is a really important point. The Edom at your wedding, the a ki, kiddushin at your wedding, and some say the A Yichud as well, but at least the Edom kiddushin must be kosher witnesses they cannot just be random people if they're not kosher witnesses it's not a wedding there's no nobody's getting married that's a major, major issue. There are a few times where I've had to say to the Chassan, these are not Edei Kedushin material. You need Edei Kedushin that are solid, solid people that you know have not good pirkum Noah. They have good reputations. They're known to people. They're well, etc. That's what you want for Edei Kedushin. Edei Ksuva, Edei tanoim. we don't treat the tanoim and the Ksuva in the same way anymore. We should, but we don't treat them in the same way. But Edei Kedushin, without a question, you have to be extremely careful with who you're getting and what's going to be with this they said they were eating shkatzim vramashim so the Adam sh- stroked his beard he knew they were lying these two new Edim were lying that they saw the Edi Kiddushin eating shkatzim vramashim he knew but he didn't know how to get them so he said he stroked his beard he said can you tell me was it shkatzim vramashim of a sheep or of a cow and the guy the guy looked at him and he said I don't know it could have been either one I'm not sure and the Marshadam caught him he said, you don't know what shkatsim Ramashim are. What are shkatsim Ramashim? And the guy obviously had absolutely no idea. He had been taught to say shkatsim Ramashim, but he didn't know what shkatsim Ramashim are. He just said, just say this to the Maharaj he'll pass one that's that. So the Marshadam, with his brilliance, was able to figure out what to say to knock the guy out and not to scare the guy away either. So we found the guy. I'm sure, you know, the end of the story, we don't know, but probably he killed everyone, everyone involved. That's what I hope. Maybe not, because <laughs> it was only 450 years ago. That like, well, What are you testifying about? That's the most evil thing in the world that this guy just did. Either way, regardless, he went in and did that. And that, they were pure Amirants, and they didn't know anything whatsoever. The Mar Shaddam was not just a Chokom. He was a Navon. He understood what to do in this situation and how to knock them out. Similarly, there was once two men that had the exact same thing happened to them. They both had a Milchik Ben Yomo spoon that they mixed in to a meat and sauce. And because it was a Milchik Ben Yomo, they wanted to know, was the meat and sauce now? But what what should we do? What what are we going to do in this situation? They both went to a rabbi to ask their question. One went to a nearby rabbi who was an older rabbi. The other one went to a farther away rabbi who was a much younger rabbi. As a time out. I've been told, but I don't know this for sure, that whenever the Ben says anonymous rabbis, he's referring to himself as the one that was the good one. He doesn't want to say himself, but he, he would have been the young rabbi in this story, okay? So this is it. So they went over there. The older rabbi asked when was the last time it was used, etc. everything like that, and he couldn't monitor it. The older rabbi said, there's nothing I can do. It seems like your meat is, is trafe." So he took the meat, and he threw it out, and that's that. But the younger rabbi took a look at it and he looked at the spoon itself. He saw the spoon. He asked how much grams of milk and this and whatever it is had been used before, how much this and whatever and the other. And he figured out that it could only have been used since Shabbos. So even though it was a Benyomo, it had only been used once since then, it was overnight, etc. He was able to figure out a way to be able to matter up the spoon. Okay, so he came back. And the guy knew it was the exact same case as him. So like, he went all the way out there and came back. He's going to have to trap up everything anyway. And the guy told him, no, the younger rabbi koshered it for me. And he said, how do you know? You knew that that younger rabbi was better than the older rabbi that's here? And he said, no, I didn't think that at all. I knew that the older rabbi didn't have the energy to look around and find a way to mater it. So it was going to be the easy answer. And he wasn't going to go all the way through. The younger rabbi had a lot of energy and he's been well known to get involved in every case and bring himself up. He would even walk to my house if he needed to in order to matur it up. And I knew that. So I went to him to get him to say whatever I needed to get so that he would go into everything and he found a heter based on the idea behind it. That's the difference. The difference is the Chacham, there's no question the older rabbi was a Chacham and in normal situations that would have been fine. But in certain situations, you need a navon. And the navon is the person who goes into it deeply and figures out everything that could possibly be done in that case. That's the idea behind it. Now, there is an itziv on this that says something a little bit different about all the qualities here. A chacham and a navon, etc. There is an itziv. The barbanel also refers to other things here, but we're going to skip it over here. Yiduim l'shiv teicham, known by their shvatim. What does that mean? Someone that's known by the shev. So the decision is going to be based on who they think should be in charge. Moshe Benel looks up at them and says, hey guys, you make the decision. Who's known by you to be a good judge? Who can be a good person? And you guys decide, and we're going to go from there. That's what we want to do over here. Ibn Ezra says they should be known by everyone. And they should be maskim to his appointment. Not just by and for their Shavit, but rather every single one of them should be maskim to the appointment of this guy. Meaning, if Moshe Rabbeinu and everybody decides that this is the person that we're going to be, then everyone decides together this is the person that we're going to be. That's exactly what we want is that person. That's how the Ibn Ezra says it. The Goryi adds that even though Moshe Rabbeinu chose them through his Ruach HaKodesh and he decided this is what we need based on his Ruach HaKodesh, it was the people who decided who wanted to lead them and HaKodesh who was maskim him to them but really it was the people themselves there's some so far over here that explains this beautifully but we don't have time to go into it and that's not for right now there's a tour that says that these people were already judges in a smaller capacity beforehand they had done what they needed to do they were the people that they were that's what they were there. they were known for being judges and that's why everybody accepted them because they had previous experience that darat elio says a judge who is well known and has a great reputation will always be better because nobody will be brazen in front of them. They've seen all. It's difficult to go up to that person and try to pretend that you don't know what's going on. That's the idea of accepting them. That's why you do in the them is so important. And then comes the Kali He goes through and he says, Barash etc., that it's going to be something localized judges know what they're doing based on the people surrounding them. And that's definitely true, right? I know people in Chicago. I don't necessarily know people in New York. For me to become a judge of somebody in New York might not be the best thing because I understand how people in Chicago think. I have no idea how people in New York think. And therefore, how could I be a proper judge based on what they're doing? It's not that I know them, the actual people that I'm judging. It's not like I'm being influenced by that. But rather, I understand where they're coming from and how they act and what they do, etc. That's the idea behind it. There's another nitziv over here, someone who's a Yirei Hashem, who Ruach Abrius is no Menu. There's a Tam Vidas, a lesson that should be learned over here, that when offered, someone's offered a shidduch or a prospective partnership in business, the best thing to do is find out if those people are well-liked by their peers. If you want to get into a shidduch with that person, well, tell me, is the family a family that gets along with people, or is this a family that often gets into fights? That's something you should at least ask about. Find out about them. What things are they into and what things are they not into? That's an important thing to do. In a partnership, you want to get to a business partnership? Look, find out about the guy. Is this guy somebody that's worthy of going to a partnership? Is he somebody that everybody thinks is easygoing? Or is he somebody that's super difficult? And sometimes, even a super difficult person could be a good partner. But you have to do your research beforehand. Says Tam Vidas, that's what we're learning from right over here. The important thing is to know you do him to find out exactly what they is. If they have these qualities, anashim, chachamim, nevonim, and yiduim l'shittechan, if those four qualities are there, those people are going to be judges, and that's the right person to have over here. Now I'm going to tell you this next part is a super hard part of the pasuk. Okay, there it's funny because I literally just did this gemara today. There's a very strange gemara in Shabbos Nunheim Abayis. The gemara goes through and it's trying to say that Bnei Shmuel Lohatu, that the children of Shmuel never sinned. And it goes through and it says, it could be, I'm sorry, Bnei Eili Lohatu, the sons of Eili never sinned. The son, this is the two Eilis, Chofni, Chofni and Pinchas. One of the opinions, Rav's opinion is, is that Chofni sinned, he had done something wrong, but Pinchas, the other son of Eli, never did anything wrong. And the Gemara asks, what do you mean? It says Maavirim, in plural. They caused others to be over. In other words, they did things wrong, In plural. And the Gemara says, maviram ksiv. Maviram. It's written without a yud at the end, even though we pronounce it mavirim, but it's written without the yud at the end, and therefore it's only referring to one person. Says Tosvos. In our Nach, mavirim is written with a yud at the end. But the Gemara's whole drush is about mavirim without a yud at the end. No, that couldn't be a mistake if there's a yud at the end that knacks out the Gemara's pshat. Says Tosfos, yeah, we have this somewhere else as well. There's another case where we have it. Not only that, Rabbi Akiva Eger. Rabbi Akiva Eger is the greatest at this. And his Gillian Ashas on that page in Nunheim Bays brings 18 examples, 18 examples of places where the Gemara darshan something based on a word, and the word in Tanakh is different. So as a timeout, I once went to one of my Rebbeim, Rabbi, Rabbi Nussan Weiss, years ago. It was, what, in 1999 when I went to, I went to my Rebbe, and I showed him this Gilean Ashas, and I said, doesn't that prove that the Tanakh is completely off? Like, we have 18 mistakes, not including Tosas, 20 mistakes, right, throughout all of Shas, where the Gemara had a certain word and Tanakh didn't. And he said, look at every single one of those examples. Every single one of the examples, it's a Yud, or a Vav, or an Aleph. All letters that we all know can be missing and don't change the structure of the word itself. He said, that is an absolute proof that the Torah is unbelievable. That we have, the Torah that we've had, is the same one from 2,000 years ago when the Mishnahs and Gemaras were made. Because the only mistakes, literally the only mistakes you can find, are things that are so strange. Ma'aviram and Ma'avirim. Right? And something like that, where it's a strange rush. As a side note, we might not hold like rav. Rav's the one that says that Chafni is the one that sinned, but Pinchas didn't. We could hold that both of them didn't sin, or both of them did sin, and we automatically don't have that drush itself. But that's how he answered it. and he looked at it that way, and it's 100% true. We are so careful with how we write all of Tanakh, and we go through with Mesor, the, the Minchas Shai, and all the different Misorati types of whatever, and yes, there are times where you'll see and you'll be like, what? This doesn't make any sense because of this and that and the other. And that's okay, because literally it's one in a million literally one in a million and when you have one in a million then you're okay you're okay because even though we expect everything to be perfect we know things aren't perfect and if the one thing that's not perfect is a yud or above or an out al- which doesn't change then that's something that to me right now that i, I, I sat there and I, I i learned that it's taken me a while to fully understand it but it's there and why do i bring that up this pasuk. Rashi, the Rabinu B'chaya, and the Balaturim say the word, V'asimim, Barashechem. I will put them in charge. V'asimim is missing a Yud. And you can darshan it, instead of Asimim, you darshan it as Ashma. Ashma means guilt. That there's guilt. Why? Because if a judge doesn't do his job, the guilt is on his shoulders, it's his fault. He should be the one to do everything. He's got to be the one that does everything. And if he doesn't, it's his fault. We put it on him. He is the one that's guilty. Moshe Rabbeinu is telling the leaders, a good leader takes the guilt for himself. The Medrash in Perak Aleph, Halacha Yud says, the mashuah to a snake. The tail says to the head, why do you get to lead? I want to lead. So the head says to the tail, go ahead, you lead. So the tail brings the snake into a fire and it gets burned. The tail leads it into thorns and it gets cut. The tail leads it into a pit and the snake falls into the pit. We understand it's not the snake's tail that's at fault. It's the head for agreeing for the tail to be in charge. Judges should be in charge. The roshim should be in charge. No one else should be in charge. The Ashma is on the head to know what to do, not on the tail for taking the lead when the head allows it to do so. That's the guilt and that's where it is. Now what's the problem over here? And that obviously means that every leader has to take responsibility for everything out there. And I think that's the reason why there were some shoals, listen, I I can't answer for everybody, but there were some shoals that during COVID were overly cautious. Why? Because a Rav is taking responsibility for the Keilah. If one person gets sick, one person, chas v'shalom, dies, that's on him. And a rabbi has to understand that. And if a rabbi doesn't understand that, he's in a total wrong line of business. It's on you to make the right decisions. And I'm not saying that's the right decision. I know this is politically motivated as well now. I have no idea what the right decision was, and I just went by what my gedolim told me, and I listened to them, and I worked with this because I literally had no idea what to do. But in a situation where there's a rub making a decision, it's on you. You can't pass that responsibility on to somebody else. It's on you, like a father is to his family, like like. A, a, really like a grandfather would be to his entire extended family. That concept is, it's on you. That responsibility is on you. You've got to make the right decision. That's what he understands from over here. The problem is, um, we don't have vasi Vasimeim without a Yud. Every Vasimeim in Archimish has a Yud. It's there. The Chizkuni the says, I think it's talking about an Aleph. And a Yud looks like the bottom of the Aleph. And if you look at it, it's almost like that because the Aleph is like above and a Yud and a Dalet. And maybe that's the Yud that we're talking about over here that's missing. And really meant an Aleph is missing. And it should be the v- a si I guess phonetically, right? It should have been that way. And it wasn't. So therefore, that's the word, the letter that's missing and not anything else. The of B'chayah says straight out, there is no Yud missing in our words. It seems that our doesn't follow this Drush. Meaning, is it Medrash? It, it's a Medrash. We're darshaning from it. It's not like we're learning halacha from it. It's an obvious thing. But nonetheless, we don't have this. It's not there. The Chsam Sofer, Paskins Lehalacha. Listen to this. He says, In Shalas Yishu's Orachayim Nunbeis that when writing a Sefer Torah, you do not make a bracha. Why don't you make a bracha? Because we have no idea if we're going to end up writing it correctly. You have no idea. There is a mitzvah to write a Sefer Torah. But we don't. Because there might, we don't know. We don't know. Even if I write it totally correctly, I still might be wrong. Because I don't know if I see Maybe you shouldn't have a Yud. We don't know what's going to be with that idea. Isn't that crazy? We don't make a bracha on Sefer Torah for that reason. You can make a Shechianu if you buy one. right? You can make a Shechianu. But to make a bracha on Ksiva Sifta, we have to know what you're doing. The base, Yeshaya says, from the Arizal, and this is unbelievable. He says, it's not a mistake. It's not a mistake. When you see these differences between Torah Shabachsav and Torah Shabalpeh, where you see the Gemara saying one way and the way it's written in the pasuk is another way, listen to this. He says there's a difference between the Torah down here and the Torah in the Mesifta Shomailah and the Yeshiva Shomala. The Torah that the Malachim learn has a different text than our Torah down here. It's the same Torah, but it might be written a little bit differently in order for them to make the Drush that we have. So when you see a drush in the Gemara that doesn't exist in our Chumash, that's because they were Zocha to see the Torah above and they're darshaning based on the Torah of the Malachim not based on our Torah. You can't get a halakha from that because you can't paskin la halakha on the Torah of the Malachan because lo hi. But you could darshan based on it and therefore, you're allowed to do such a thing. I saw the same thing in the Nitsutse Shimshim or shim Shimshim Aspola. Anybody heard that before? The Torah Shomila is going to be a little bit different from ours from the Torah Shomata. It's an amazing idea. It's a crazy idea, but it's an absolute amazing idea. That's how the Beis Yishaya says it. Now, there are other ways of learning up this word there's an Orachayim HaKadosh and the Nitsiv. The Nitsiv is all over the place in this Pusik, not saying like anybody else when it comes to that, as well as the Ksabekabalah. But I'm going to end. How much time do I have? I have. No, it's okay, Rashi says implied in Pasig Yudalid is a bit of Moser. It sounds like the people are just being Masa and Moshe right And he said, Moshe Rabbeinu, we understand. This is what you want. And this is what we're going to do, etc. And everything like that. We're going to make judges, etc. But Moshe Rabbeinu looked back at them and said, guys, what are you thinking? Why wouldn't you want me to be your judge? Yes, it's hard for me. But as soon as I said, all right, guys, I'm going to make judges. And you guys are like, good idea, Moshe Rabbeinu. Let's make judges. Your first reaction should have been, no, you're Moshe Rabbeinu. I want to learn from you. I don't want to learn from your students. I don't want to have somebody else judge me. The only person that I trust to be my judge is Moshe, not someone else. I don't want that. That should have been the first reaction. Can you imagine somebody's, I, I, I just, you know, somebody who really likes me? Right. And I go to my, uh, those congregants that really like me, the one or two guys that really like me. And I say to them, all right, guys, I'm not going to do anything anymore. I'm putting, you know, I'm putting Paul in charge. You're going to be in charge from that point on. Right. And you're going to do it from now on. Now, if the guys say like, all right, that's fine. Then I'm going to be like, whoa, wait a second. No fight. You're not going to put up a fight for me? You're not going to be like that? See, what I want everyone to say is, no way! We don't want Paul. He might be a great guy, right? But no, we don't want Paul. He's named after a Christian apostle. There's no way! We're not going to let that happen. Even more right? so, I lead, I lead a whole nation. Agreed, mind? agreed, agreed badly. But nonetheless, <laughs> that's not what we want. That's the first reaction that I'm looking for. I'd rather, I'd Irrelevant. prefer something like that. That's the idea behind it. And it seems that they had an ulterior motive here. And. The ulterior motive was, they said, you know what, you're right, Moshe Rabbeinu, we can't bribe you, we can't convince you, and you know everything. Another judge, we might win the case. And that's what they're thinking, and that's totally evil, <laughs> that's unbelievably evil. You can't do that, says Rashi, that was the implied muster. Moshe Rabbeinu said to them, so I said I was going to make judges, and you were, go- you were like, good going, Moshe Rabbeinu, we agree. That's muster, that was the muster. He looked at them, and he's like, you really think that's what I wanted? You think that's? I wanted a different reaction. I wanted something different. That's the idea behind it. Yelishe Shachar says. Rashi says that Moshe Rabbeinu pained himself over them, and therefore said, "How could you get rid of me so quickly?" Where did Moshe Rabbeinu pain himself over them? I I, I mean, I kind of think it's an obvious answer. Forty days up in Shemayim while doing the Sefer Torah and not eating and not drinking is pain. (laughs) And I realize Moshe Rabbeinu was like a malach at that time. Don't think he did that without pain. There's no question he survived and Hashem allowed him to survive, but he was starving for 40 days and 40 nights. Maybe he didn't feel it because he was on an unbelievable level, but that is still pain more than anything else. Maybe the pain was the fact that he was scared of the malachim the whole time, swath him and offan him around him all the time. And also... A it's not like Moshevin was chilling out with a Dunkin' Donuts coffee in one hand, you know, and like a babka on the other, chocolate babka on the other, like leaning back in his chair, you know what I'm saying, like leaning back and just being like, what do you think of toast those guys? It's not what he was doing. Moshevin was spending day and night learning with Claudius Roll on such a level where he was mamish Bizar. Mamish bitzar, where he was in pain, where he was sweating through, sweating through one cloak after the other if not for the fact that a couple cleaned everything and his clothes never got dirty or sweaty he was sitting there just in a sugya in that way there's no question there was pain involved and that mysterious nephesh he assumed that they would appreciate that and would want him to continue as the Rebbe for that reason there's a Tzor Amor who says they wanted relatives to become their their dayanim, and that makes sense and that's that Moshe Feinstein in Dorash Moshe as well as Koran says it was Yechidim that felt this way most of the people, the reason why they said yes is because they understood that Moshe Rabbeinu needed a break. And Moshe Rabbeinu would still be available for them. But the last thing they wanted was burnout. They didn't want Moshe Rabbeinu to burn out and lose it completely. So the way Moshe Rabbeinu says, says is, is that they knew that what they were getting. They knew that this wouldn't be Moshe Rabbeinu and they understood it. There were some Yechidim who were evil, like Rashi says. Some Yechidim were like, oh, thank God, we don't have Moshe Rabbeinu anymore. Or, wow, we can do that. But the other people are like, yes, Moshe Rabbeinu, we understand. The problem is, and this happens all the time, once you have everybody agreeing to something, and some of them are evil, the evil people start thinking, oh, see, even they agree with me. They thought that everybody was like them, that they were just like, yeah, right, who wants Moshe Rabbeinu, right? Who wants that guy? Thank God we got rid of them. That's not what they were thinking at all. But that was in their heads once that happened. Ramosha has two different pieces on this. It's amazing, amazing what he says over here. But that's that. The Mashiloch says something super interesting. This was a hint to the people that they did something wrong. Moshe Bino says, you know, you guys should be davening for me. This is 36 days before his death. Rosh Chodesh Shvat is when he started this speech in Elah Dvarin. Remember, Ela is the Gematria of 36 for the last 36 days of his life. Right? So, Ela Dvarin, these are the words. And 36 days before he dies, he says to Claudius, he's like, So I said that I would make judges, and you guys were fine with that. You didn't daven for me. You didn't daven for me. Guys, you didn't daven for me. I want to live. If you daven for me, I'll get to go to Eretz Yisrael. But if you don't daven for me, I won't get to go. And the people were dense. This is Dordea. And yet they were looking at Moshe Beno and it's like, we got it. And they didn't get it. They didn't daven. Says the Masjid Loach, they totally missed the message. They were thinking locally. Judges made a mistake, should have asked for Moshe Rabbeinu. Darn, our bad, Moshe. And Moshe really was hinting to, so in now. <laughs> Do it now. Say a out loud. I want to hear it from you guys. I want to hear it. Moshe, we want you to live. Come on, I'll start the chant. Moshe, Mo- come on. And nobody answered back. Everybody sat there, and they were just like, uh-huh. <laughs> they didn't get it. Says the Meshulach, they lost out on the opportunity. And Moshe Rabbeinu never was daven for, and they lost Moshe Rabbeinu. Isn't that unbelievable? Now, on the other hand, this could be seen in a positive light. They didn't want this, but for the benefit of Moshe Rabbeinu, they were willing to be mochal and moser. They were willing to give up the greatness of Moshe Rabbeinu so that Moshe Rabbeinu would have an easier time. That could be, he says, that's the good thing over here. Ashur dibarta, Tova Shirdi dibarta, what you said, we're okay with. We don't want it. But we're okay with what you said because this is better for you. And maybe that's why they said "Lassos at the end. They said, we think it's a good thing for you to do this. We don't think it's a good thing for us. We're going to gain nothing out of this. And in fact, it might be horrible for us. But we're willing to understand that there are certain things that people are able to do and we, we're not going to be able to do it. Now, obviously, guys, there's a little bit more of your, you'll see on page five. I usually don't have page five, so you know there was a lot of stuff over here, right? I have a Noach Ephraim, We have an Alshik. We have an Itzi. We have a Mi'am Loez, We have the Me'ashi They're all amazing. Every single one of them has something absolutely amazing over here. But I want to bring down at the very, very end the Maloha Olmer. The Maloha Omer says from the Zohar that this was when Moshe Rabbeinu chose these people. It wasn't through Ruach Hakodesh. Is through Chokhmah Sapartzuf. The people chose somebody and brought him to Moshe Rabbeinu. And the Moshe Rabbeinu stared at their forehead, looked at their entire life through their foreheads, because certain people are able to do it, like me, right now. Avi, shouldn't have done that. So th- that's exactly that. That everybody, Moshe Rabbeinu knew he had this ability to do chachmas and see everything that was happening based on that. He made the decision based on what he saw. Since it's forbidden to look at the face of a Russia, Moshe Rabbeinu would never look at people unless he knew they were tzaddikim. That's why he told the people... Choose men that are and So that I have a head start. And if I look at them, I won't look at Rashaim. I'll see Tzadikim in front of me. And therefore, I'm going to be okay with what I see. Some of them he picked. And some of them he said, no, I don't want. But the people were the ones who gave him the people that that he, they thought were going to be the right people for the job. And in the end, the decision was made whether it was going to be good or bad. That's a crazy little little Omer. Obviously, the last thing over there with Rashi, it's uh, I, I'm not going to go into this, but a cool little thing is, can you call your rebbe by his first name? Because they said to him, Rabbeinu Moshe. Are you allowed to say the name of your rebbe along with that in front of his face? That's a That's a question for next time. Maybe I'll do like a short here a little bit later and just put it online, just, just about that thing. But we'll stop it.